Welcome to Ask the Expert. Today's guest um, is uh, Slavika Tudzorovovas. Um, she's coming to us from UCLA, from the Hillbloom Islet Research Center. And the title of her talk is the B-cell or beta-cell uphill battle in type 1 diabetes, discovery of the game changer. A little bit about her is uh, Dr. Tusarova's research is focused on the crosstalk between the metabolism, DNA replication, initiation, and cell cycle in human cells and tissues. Defects in these processes commonly occur during malignant transformation or human diseases like diabetes and neurodegeneration, and they involve abrogation or checkpoint control and unscheduled replication, which leads to apoptosis and cell loss. As part of this program, she's investigating the abnormal mitochondrial morphology and function of diabetes that interferes with sustenance of B-cell replication during compensatory regeneration. Her group's now uh, working on fostering uh, B-cell regeneration through strategies that restore normal mitochondrial network and function, thereby preserving functional B-cells. After obtaining her BS in pharmacology at University of St. Cyril, Macedonia, Dr. Tusarova underwent a a training in tumor biology at University of Vienna, Austria, where she obtained her PhD um, at the University of Tumor Biology and Cancer Research. She then joined uh, University College in London in the UK. She was a postdoctoral fellow and established her uh, independent research program funded by Ernst Young Sifting and Industrial Research Collaboration before appointed to assistant professor at Larry Hilbum Islet Research Center at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. Welcome. Um, Dr. Susarova, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to hear more about your work and um, its very interesting premise. Thank you so much, Monica. Thank you to you and the whole team. And I'm absolutely delighted to have this opportunity to share my work in front of uh, sugar science community. I entitled uh, my work as a beta cell uphill battle in type 1 diabetes, and it will come throughout my talk why I called it uh, uh, this uh, way, the beta cell uphill battle, almost uh, significant of the beta cell Sisyphe work or uphill rolling of stones as a challenge in type 1 diabetes. And then I will talk about discovery of the potential game changer. So uh, long ago, it has been now (laughs) established that type 1 diabetes is not only T-cell-mediated autoimmune disease. And there is accumulating evidence to support that. It's coming from lack of durable effects of immunosuppression to contain the autoimmunity in type 1 diabetes, decoupling of islet autoimmunity from development of type 1 diabetes, for example, through low rate of insulitis at the time of diagnosis and onset of type 1 diabetes, But also strikingly puzzling is the unexpectedly high proportion of beta cells that persist, although they do not always function after diagnosis of type 1 diabetes. And now beta cells are moving to a new spotlight uh, in investigating pathogenesis of type 1 diabetes from various reasons. So first of all, during the stress, and here on the right, you can see quite a complex cartoon depicting that stress. Beta cells can process different neoantigens, and thus, uh, which become relevant for a peptide presentation of beta cells. And they, they come from various types of stresses, but some of them are really a shared commonality with type 2 diabetes, for example, are ER stress and unfolded protein stress. So uh, therefore, it is maybe fair to say, uh, given that evidence 
that beta cell stresses that contribute to beta cell dysfunction also contribute to neoantigen generation and exacerbate at the same time autoimmune reaction in type 1 diabetes. Now, uh, further being in the spotlight, beta cells have been highlighted as potentially perpetrators that can propagate the autoimmunity of type 1 diabetes. And we recently uh, acquired knowledge about uh, the role uh, and relevance of senescent beta cells. So beta cells that undergo injury early during the development, and because of that, they attain a program, which is actually a normal program that prevents genomic instability because restricts, in other way, uh, saying uh, beta cells from replication if they have undergone genotoxic lesion. So, but here uh, the team presented that these senescent cells actually can be perpetrators because they're responsible for secreting pro-inflammatory agencies that can propagate type one diabetes. So therefore they are more and more shifted in the spotlight uh, away from autoimmunity, but as direct perpetrators in the onset of autoimmunity in type one diabetes. Now, uh, what is interesting, and we probably all of us know this uh, progression through the stages of type 1 diabetes, is the fact that uh, progression from the onset and detection of autoimmunity to loss of sufficient beta cells for the onset of type 1 diabetes is relatively slow in adults with recent onset of type 1 diabetes. Therefore, uh, the question is, what is the mechanism of this slow progression? What is the mechanism of the sustenance of the injury in those beta cells from the onset of autoimmunity before sufficiently uh, numbers of these beta cells are lost to uh, lead to onset of hyperglycemia? So we have made one very interesting observation and here it is presented. So um, the presented are immunostaining in the pancreata uh, from uh, brain dead donors, uh, from uh, brain dead donors with type one diabetes, <clears throat> where we have found basically that there is a very high extent of protein, increase in protein expression in two key metabolic regulators called uh, HIF-1 alpha and PFKP3. So HIF-1 alpha comes from hypoxia-inducible factor 1a uh, uh, alpha, and PFKP3, it's, it's, uh, it is its transcriptional target. So we found that up to two-thirds of all beta cells, which here are revealed in green, based on uh, using specific insulin antibodies to reveal their identity, and in white, uh, based on glucagon antibodies. So up to two-thirds of all these beta cells in brain dead donors uh, with type 1 diabetes and the residual beta cell mass basically show immunopositivity for the downstream target of this pathway, PFKB3 or phosphofructokinase. Now, this referred very specifically to beta cells and not to alpha cells. But interesting, it was also a shared commonality with type 2 diabetes. Now, can, you can easily argue that uh, this is maybe because this is a phenomenon, uh, which is a consequence of hyperglycemia. However, we were lucky to get hold of a pre-diabetic uh, case, uh, pre-type 1 diabetes that Dr. Peter Butler uh, have extensively described and reported about, and we found half of the extent 
of this PFKB3 immunopositivity to describe this pre-diabetes. Also, we have the same type of evidence in rodent uh, pre-diabetic rodent uh, pre-diabetic models of type 2 diabetes, indicating that this pathway actually qualifies merely for potentially an underlying mechanism of uh, diabetes of islet failure in diabetes, rather than consequence of hyperglycemia. Now, interesting is that almost at the same time uh, came evidence, uh, it was published from genome-wide association studies, that in reference to this gene PFKB3, there is a single nucleotide polymorphism that extracts the low C in this gene PFKB3 with highest, strongest susceptibility significance. And guess what? This was found not only uh, to account for a late onset of autoimmunity in uh, diabetes in uh, adults, but also not only in LADA, but also to uh, be true across type 1 and type 2 diabetes, basically indicating that our observation is supported by this or very well aligned with this uh, GWAS studies. Now, uh, when we um, identify this pathway to be highly relevant for beta cells uh, in context of type 1 diabetes, we ask whether only HIF1 alpha and PFKB3 are singled out as relevant uh, representatives of the pathways, or basically they are tip of the uh, peak of the iceberg, which is a part of a wider injury response program. To identify and substantiate that, we looked at available RNA-seq data from uh, comparing the genomes between uh, the transcriptomes between uh, type 1 diabetic donors, so uh, human islets from type 1 diabetes versus non-diabetics. And we found actually that more genes from the transcriptional program of HIF1 alpha were affected. Here they are listed, and there was a significant over-representation, over which was uniform across the RNA-seq datasets. When reconstructed this, what it means is, and if you can see under A and B, are represented the pathway where these two relevant metabolic proteins belong. That means there was upregulation of a process which is known as aerobic glycolysis and also known as oxygen-independent way of generation of energy. So under B, on the right side, you can see that uh, highlighted in red what has been changed, which indicates that there is a genetic uh, remake up based on HIF1-alpha transcriptional activity, which basically breaks down the sensing of glucose by replacing glucokinase with hexokinase, then enhances the volume or the pace of aerobic uh, glycolysis, and at the same time still spiruvate into production of lactate via uh, regulation of this gene LDHA, but at the same time suppresses utilization of pyruvate from mitochondria. So indicates that not this pathway is part of epistatic, uh, or these proteins are part of epistatic pathway of regulation of aerobic glycolysis that is relevant for type 1 diabetes. Now, why we were so much intrigued is that HIF1-alpha and PFKB3 actually belong to so-called disallowed genes. So basically, they are imminent and important during development of beta cells, but then they are suppressed in order to allow uh, un uh, seized, uninterfered, highly specialized beta cell function. And from this diagram here, it should become clear why they're suppressed after development of beta cells in mature and highly specialized beta cells. The reason is 
that this both of them mediate through aerobic glycolysis actually redirection of glucose metabolism away from mitochondria, thus mediating breakage or dislinkage between glucosensic and insulin secretion, and directly being responsible for the loss of glucose-sensitive insulin secretion. Now, in order now to understand, since even in pre-diabetes, there are complex triggers potentially that can lead to uh, upregulation of HIF1 alpha and PFKB3, it is important to distill what is the trigger what actually leads to their upregulation. For this reason, we have used human islets, which we have uh, treated with cytokine mix in order to reflect and mimic the metabolic and pro-inflammatory stress close to one seen in type 1 diabetes. And then we measured the protein expression and transcriptional levels of these proteins, of the transcription levels of these genes. We found that not only HIF1 alpha and PFKB3 are affected positively with upregulation, but also another two which belong to transcriptional targets of HIF1 alpha, such as hexokinase and LDHA. And quantification of uh, uh, these measurements are presented here from B2E. On top of it, we've seen some trend in increase in um, secretion of lactate. And important to say, because it has been often argued that human islets deteriorate in the culture, that this is shown, right, the, the potential bias of deterioration, of deterioration in the culture is kind of present in the control. And what we show is fault change relative to the cytokine mix uh, treatment or pro-inflammatory stress. That was, uh, uh, of course, interesting to observe that uh, also on protein level, we see increased expression of these uh, uh, proteins and also distilled to pro-inflammatory stress uh, in relation to the human islets. But now we were interested in the consequence of HIF1 alpha and PFKB3 targeting during pro-inflammatory stress. In other words, what is their role? To understand this, we reproduced these experiments, again, using uh, human islets, which we treated with cytokine mix, this time in presence or absence of inhibitor, here translational inhibitor of HIFAN alpha, KC7F2, at uh, growing concentrations, so two concentrations, five and 10 micromolar. And then also we have used a strategy of post-transcriptional silencing of PFKV3, almost to ask the same question, but now in relation to PFKV3. So these results here, this Western blot here, is showing accumulation of cell death in reference to uh, translational inhibition of HIF and alpha, but not of suppression of PFKV3 indicating that HIF1 alpha is basically the one which is sufficient and necessary to regulate the vulnerability of beta cells, in this case, human beta cells in context of inflammatory stress, but not PFKB3. Now, since uh, we are doing parallel studies in type 2 diabetes in these models, I have to say this is another commonality, so shared commonality between these two models, because um, we recently published that also the roles of PFKB3 and HIF1 alpha uh, in context even of type 2 diabetogenic stress diverge. So they have divergent role, although they belong to same epistatic axis of regulation. 
Now, this is further quantified here, as you can see at the G and J, you can see clear no difference in the cell death when PFKV3 is suppressed, but only when HIFAN alpha, which means that for sustenance of uh, these injuries in through pro-inflammatory stress in beta cells, it is important to hold genetic make makeup under the uh, transcriptional umbrella of HIFAN alpha to be activated. Now, uh, the question is how this pathway has been triggered. We mentioned inflammatory stress, but what are the dots in terms to understand the mechanistic basis? So which brings this uh, HIFAN alpha and PFKV3? What's the way um, uh, to stabilize them? So from the name uh, HIFAN alpha, hypoxia inducible factor one alpha, it is uh, obviously implied that hypoxia is the main trigger of this pathway. This pathway is very well established in the context of cancer. But the question is whether this is the case in diabetes and in here in particular in type one. And again, uh, let me uh, bring again the commonalities between type one and type two diabetes. Interestingly, which we, I don't know whether we we are aware of that or not, but there is shared commonality in terms of perturbation of calcium homeostasis in type 2 diabetes that often comes from misfolded protein stress by IPP, so islet amylogenic pancreatic polypeptide. But in context of pro-inflammatory stress, it has been published that also cytokines can lead to perturbation of calcium, intracellular calcium, and mainly <clears throat> mechanism is actually depletion of ER stores while reinforcing higher influx of calcium uh, from outside intracellularly into uh, beta cells. So therefore, there is a shared commonality. On the other side, in type 2 diabetes, we have uh, done a very profound metabolomics and uh, also uh, glucose tracing analysis to find out that actually <clears throat> critical point in stabilization of this pathway is um, reshaping or a so-called defensive posture that mitochondria, in order to defend itself from calcium waves, attains and which leads to attenuation of its function. In other words, the TCA cycle, as a consequence of which we see accumulation of metabolites that we followed uh, through metabolomics analysis, such as succinate and fumarate, that mimic hypoxia on metabolism level and thus stimulate via post-translational uh, mechanism stabilization of HIFAN alpha. So now we ask the question whether this is the case in context of type 1 diabetes, and we focused on mitochondria for this reason. We have taken here again pancreata from the high uh, quality NPOT collection. For non-diabetics, our uh, pre-diabetic case that we described, published, reported by uh, Dr. Peter Butler, and uh, <clears throat> um, about, I think, five or six donors with uh, type 1 diabetes and measured changes after visualization of mitochondria with TOM20. And we found that mitochondria show decrease in density and also profound fragmented nature. And this was uh, similar in terms of fragmentation, what we observed in response to calcium toxicity in type 2 diabetes. So mitochondria qualify in terms through this change to attenuation that can lead to compensatory stabilization of uh, HIFAN alpha and PFKB3, similar to what was observed in type 2 diabetes. Now, 
the question is where all these statements, how they fit uh, when we in vivo manipulate um, uh, HIF1 alpha and PFKB3. And I will at this point refer to very preliminary format of our experiments in which we have used streptozotocin as a model that induces injury up to 60% in beta cells. And uh, we have used standard protocol with low dosage over the course of five days. But prior that, we established uh, cohorts of mice where we have either genetically knocked out PFKV3 specifically to beta cells or uh, those which will be presented here in violet, where nine days post the injury, we administered intraperitoneally established experimental tool inhibitor of PFKB3 for only four days. And then we measured metabolic performance of these mice. So we found that there was a profoundly uh, decrease in the excursion of glucose and improvement of glucose tolerance in the groups where either prior the injury, PFKB3 was knocked out or inhibited nine days post-injury, and this is quantified under C. As I say, I will be very cautious to make any conclusions here, but they are very similar results to what we have produced and published in context of type 2 diabetes. Now, I would like uh, to turn your attention to inhibition of PFKB3 in context of measurement of consequences to autoimmunity. It is, I don't know whether enough it is reiterated in the literature or it is known to this audience, but absolutely one of the critical steps in creating of immunocompetent effector T cells mm -hmm. is basically for their conversion from naive to effector cells, uh, important is aerobic glycolysis and in particular both HIF1 alpha and PFKV3. So that was the premise that recently in 2021 in Frontiers of Immunology, one group tested using the model of adoptive transfer of auto-activated T cells, tested the effect of systemic inhibition of PFKB3 with this again uh, experimental tool compound uh, called PFK15. They found when they measured that they have prevented or slowed down the um, uh, onset of uh, type 1 diabetes. And this was in connection with no gross changes, at least in the uh, body weight, indicating no gross toxicity, which led to uh, differences between the treatment and the vehicle group. But also, uh, we were intrigued to look at what's happening in the islets, on the level of the islets in these mice. And you can compare here the vehicle versus the treatment group where obviously the consequences of the treatment were that the profound and very diffuse insulitis was restricted to peri-islet stage one insulitis, but also there was a re-emergence of the beta cells. And interestingly, that was in relation to containment of autoimmunity as it was evidenced by reduction of autoactive uh, T cells or what they called exhaustion of these autoactive T cells in particularly in the spleen. Now, this is very interesting uh, observation. And uh, at this point, I would just like to briefly summarize what we have seen and what I have shown you, that HIF and alpha PFKB3 pathway promotes survival of injured beta cells at the expense of their function in context of type 1 diabetes, that HIF and alpha PFKB3 immunopositivity immunopositive beta cells account for 15 to 20% in prediabetes and increase up to two-thirds of all beta cells in type 1. 
And that, of course, these uh, thoughts are together with the idea that uh, PFK between HIF and alpha also are relevant for the autoimmune uh, uh, response, pose the question, is it beneficial to eliminate those HIF and alpha PFK between monopositive beta cells? Because obviously these are injured beta cells that can sustain the injury, pro-inflammatory injury, because of upregulation of this pathway. So um, we... I would like to propose uh, to you to reflect on a new concept that we are working now and in which uh, we are inferring certain results at this point of preliminary work in type 1 diabetes from the model of type 2 diabetes, but it's a very interesting concept and therefore I would like to share it with you. It's basically um, uh, uh, funded on the activation of very specific beta cell battle, the battle of the which selects the fittest and which is called a cell fitness competition. So the idea of existence of this uh, particular phenomenon uh, in post-developmental tissue in context of disease comes from our observation, and uh, I will apologize for my digression again back to type 2 diabetes, but our observation that we recently published in context of type 2 diabetes, namely, when we have knocked out specifically PFKFB3 on type 2 diabetogenic stress, which we call humanized mouse model of uh, type 2 diabetes because of bringing together misfolded lipotoxic stress and old age, we have found there was no change in beta cell mass when we inspected the islets uh, from the, those mice. However, we have seen shift in favor of beta cells relative to alpha cells and very interesting concomitant phenomenon that described uh, increase in replication of beta cells at the same time diminishment of damaged or injured cells uh, by misfolding protein stress, but also diminishment of bihormonal cells that occurred concomitantly with increase of replication. This picture is fully reminiscent of a phenomenon that I would like now to um, share with you and which basically uh, is a novel concept that we propose as a potential of potential impact uh, for in, uh, introducing regeneration in post-mitotic tissue. This concept is called cell fitness competition and basically proposes existence and discrimination between losers and winners in the cellular community. What does it mean is that it proposes that injured, damaged, and uh, old cells are constantly recognized by their uh, neighboring uh, healthy cells and through extrinsic mechanism, they are expelled from the tissue. Apoptosis is induced in these cells so that when they open free space, they signal through tangible forces to neighboring healthy cells to reconstitute this free space, free space only quid pro quo, which means uh, with respect and appreciation of physiological constraints of size and space and how replication ceases or stops as soon as they uh, sense the cell-cell uh, contacts or cell uh, contact inhibition, as soon as this is accomplished that neighboring healthy cells reconstitute the free space from expelled damaged cells. So fitness is the matrix of wealth in cellular community and is based on three generic categories, resources similar to society, protein biosynthesis, energy, the way energy is generated in the cell and infrastructure, which is mitochondrial form and function. So what we propose 
And what we want to work, our working model, both in type 1 and type 2 diabetes, is the following. We propose that this kind of post-mitotic extrinsic quality control goes on in the endogenous organs such as pancreas is and pancreatic islets. So the difference is when you have a skin exogenous organ, massive death and massive reconstitution with replication rate. This uh, quite diminished rates of replication and apoptosis go uh, hand in hand when you, you look and they reflect very much cell fitness competition. We believe this is active in healthy non-diabetics, but chronic injury changes the makeup and leads basically to retainment of cells which possess the injury. And it is, has been shown, for example, in Anil Bouchon, Bouchon work, those cells um, change, they can even uh, change the secretome, they can be all damaged, but it doesn't matter what they belong to, because this is opportunistic concept. And what it matters, what we ask is what what makes them to survive and be retained of the tissue? Because we believe that they qualify ultimately to contribute to islet failure and uh, with these two onset of diabetes, both type one and type two diabetes. Now we think that uh, HIFON alpha and PFKB3 qualify for a mechanism that conceal their loser status, which uh, it basically interferes with their recognition and expelling from the tissue leads to their accumulation. So we propose that targeting of this pathway is a rational strategy to initiate their elimination of the tissue and basically rely on intrinsic property of evolutionary conserved principle to initiate functional cell regeneration by enrichment of the tissue with healthy functional cells. So if we, we are working on that, in context of type 1 diabetes. And if this uh, happens to be true, as much as we see it, that it applies to type 2 diabetes, then uh, interesting here is that we potentially are up to the strategy that can uh, actually cover the uh, two features, both features of uh, the pathogenesis of type 1 diabetes, islet failure, as well as T-cell uh, autoimmunity. So uh, with this, uh, I would like uh, very much to thank you for your attention, to thank to all the people who worked on uh, this project, so related between type two and type one diabetes, uh, my collaborators, the daily source of my wisdom at the Hillblom Islet Research Center, Dr. Peter Butler and Dr. Gerlon, funding and uh, very happy to take your questions on. Thank you very much. That was fantastic, really interesting. We've had Peter Thompson um, as well as Neil Bouchon uh, speaking to us before, and you know you're kind of bringing a lot of the um, the research angles together in this talk. As it was really great to see that kind of um, put together and highlighted. And I think I, I'm also going to say I see here that there's a postdoc position available and a research associate uh, associate uh, position available. So that's amazing. If anyone's hearing this and they would like to reach out to studzarova at mednet.ucla.edu, please feel free to do so. And um, here's a question I'm going to take from the chat that was a wonderful talk in data. Are you considering the change in immune cells in response to STZ? Unless islet failure is being studied in immunosuppressive mice, STZ may impact immune function and thereby beta and alpha cell ratio. That's the first one. Would you like to take it? 
Yes, uh, so we are aware that streptozootocin model is not ideal model of, uh, um, I mean, ideal model of type 1, uh, of human type 1 diabetes, and that pro-inflammatory stress is post-injury. Uh, so basically, it's a consequence of the uh, injury of massive injury of beta cells. But uh, basically, we will expand on more models than uh, this streptozotocin. And as I say, it's a very preliminary set of data. I cannot uh, comment on how this, uh, you know, they, they definitely the, the basic mechanism, which, which we rely on, is partial inflammation induced after 60% elimination of uh, this beta cell post uh, this alkylating agent injury. So uh, whether this uh, differentially, uh, basically differentially affects beta and alpha cells, we have not we have not yet looked at it. And I don't know whether in, lit in the literature uh, that has been pinpointed, but here most important thing when it comes to articulation of this cell fitness competition is that you have to have residual healthy beta cell mass. So no matter of the rearrangement between beta and alpha cells, if you have residual beta cell mass and within homotypic population, apparently beta cells, if they are injured relative to healthy beta cells, which are juxtaposed, you are in the best position to um, uh, basically use this to activate this cell fitness competition. We believe if you deprive injured cells from their survival mode. So ultimately, I find uh, your question is valid, but I cannot say uh, we have not investigated yet the uh, rearrangement between alpha and beta cells in uh, as a consequence of streptozotocin. But what it matters is not really that rearrangement. What it matters is um, preservation of residual beta cell mass in order to articulate cell fitness competition. That's, yeah, excellent answer. I think that was great. Um, and then uh, the answer from uh, Curdy Call was like, that's fair. We've reported insulin resistance and not mice too. So reproducing this in other models will be convincing. A uh, couple of claps, interesting and amazing work, people were saying. And I also wanted to ask you, how, do you, how does your model fit with the prodrome progression? Um, and you know, when we're talking about senescent cells, right? I mean, the sort of the one hit viral or some environmental hit, you know, and then a recovery uh, or remission, if you want to call it, and then a and then another hit and then a recovery, uh, you know, and, and those correspond with presentation of autoantibodies and then final the final hit and the final, you know, progression to diagnosis. How might senescent cells you know, be uh, progressing alongside that model? Uh, Have so, any just hypotheses or data to share? Um, so, so far, uh, you know, we are investigating, ultimately it's not really important the identity this uh, senescent cells, I think uh, it's, uh, um, you know, appearance of senescent cells, to my understanding, is relevant only when the first hit is early in during development of beta cells. So they replicate and senescent is a program that is adapted to prevent uh, fixation of genetic lesion in replicating cells. Not necessarily, if, if this happens in adult post-development, not necessarily this is senescent. Because, I mean, to my understanding, replication is important in order to shift the phenotype to uh, senescence. However, 
in terms of what you say, it, it is definitely a dynamic process. This self-fitness competition is opportunistic process. So as you can see, not, uh, so there are a lot of changes that uh, ultimately uh, go and define this relationship between the healthy and less fit or the cells with um, lesser fitness. And that can be dynamic, that can be over the course of time, uh, uh, very different. So, but ultimately, the trend from what we see is accumulation of these injured cells mm -hmm. that change sufficiently to sustain the injury and then accumulate to a proportion that is then sufficient for ultimately onset of sincere of hyperglycemia and sincere type 1 diabetes. So, no matter, I can imagine, I don't have insight into the particular dynamic of this process, but because that it is highly opportunistic in itself. So basically it's selection of the fittiest, which implies that this loser, this injured cell population can acquire changes dynamically over the course. And with this, what we propose is ultimately conceal, conceal this loser status so that when it is formed in a bulk sufficient to mediate islet failure or uh, beta cell dysfunction that from the site of the islet contributes to uh, development of type 1 diabetes. So um, I, I would not have, uh, you know, for that, we have to follow the kinetic of it more appropriately. It's a very valid question, but I would think from the nature of what I have explained, um, it is imminent, it's highly opportunistic process that it can be dynamic and, and this uh, acquiring of the hits, I might understand as acquiring of ultimate concealment of their recognition by and expelling from the tissue by healthy cells. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost like they they may, I mean, just sort of like sort of very 5,000 foot view. It's almost like perhaps they can clear, you know, the senescent cells and then, and the next insult, maybe they can clear less senescent cells and then not at all or something along those lines. So along the, along this pressure, which is coming from uh, ad adversity of the, uh, you know, let's say it's pro-inflammatory in concurrent pro-inflammatory pro stress or other types of stresses along that this senescent, or if we could, if you if they're senescent or whatever, the damage injured cells, which we call of lesser fitness or losers mm -hmm. are are exerted to the same, just in a shorter time, evolutionary pressure to change. And this change is dynamic because the process is opportunistic. And the, the point is that it's, what is dangerous is when they cannot be any more actively expelled from the tissue. Mm -hmm. So if they, in, in the beginning, to a certain extent, they are eliminated by the, you know, by this active cell fitness competition that over the, cross of, over the course of chronicity of the stress might be lost and linked so to, uh, for example, changing the way they generate the energy, which is uh, suppressing oxidative stress and masking their existence in, the, uh, in their beta cell population. I guess that, that's so interesting. I, I wonder, last question for me, at, at least, is how does the um, presence of senescence in the islets um, kind of correlate, correspond, or even exist under the umbrella of the HLA differences and the HLA backdrop of type one diabetes? Yeah, so I, 
from what I uh, read that uh, basically this HLA uh, risk alleles, right? 10% only of bearers uh, of this risk alleles mm -hmm. develop type 1 diabetes, but that, that uh, percentage is even declining, which implicates, uh, you know, other uh, gene environmental interactions that may play um, a huge role. It will be interesting whether... Uh, this is articulating the status of recognition and elimination of senescent and injured cells. But uh, from, I can tell you what the literature is indicating. It's, um, it might be, it might be not, but much more focus so far is number one, it's a prototoxicity, and number two is oxidative stress. So mm -hmm. the reason why this HIF-1 alpha PFKB3 is chosen to conceal during chronic stress uh, to conceal the loser status is because it's one of the most powerful ways by switching to oxygen independent way of generation of energy to suppress mitochondrial byproduct, uh, mitochondrial um, oxphos byproduct, which is reactive oxygen species, and which we with which these loser cells actually can conceal the status. So mm -hmm. two, they are more kind of, um, you know, related so far in the literature and in uh, genetic lo lower organisms, uh, which are more appropriate for mechanistic studies, such as Drosophila, it has been shown that ER and UPR stress, ultimately through readout of prototoxicity, protein aggregates and oxidative stress are defining this status. So uh, I don't know yeah. how much- That's fantastic. That's yeah. really interesting. Um, yeah, no, that is really, really, um, that's a very interesting point. And I think, you know, I mean, I would encourage anyone to really sort of dive into, connect with you to dive into what it is you're doing and what is available for uh, a research associate or postdoc, because this work is really quite cutting edge. Um, Peter Butler, yourself, um, Peter Thompson up in Canada, and uh, Neil Bouchon are really Kind of pioneers in this realm, I, and I believe I believe Kira Call was on here as well. Um, and this is a, a really novel approach and a really exciting place to be right now. So thank you again for sharing this innovative research, and we cannot wait to see what comes from um, your lab and your collaborations next. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Monica. I appreciate and everyone else. And uh, thank you for uh, making this uh, visible work uh, with, uh, it's, uh, with every word and every kind of this support uh, further encouraged. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Have a great rest of your day.